Well, are you ready? Are you strapped in? Ready to go? I love you guys. You're so much fun. You're so much fun to be with. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that's very rarely ever discussed and certainly not discussed in church. It's debt. Some of you may be in debt, and some of you may be horribly in debt, and others of you may not be in debt at all. But regardless, there's something here for all of us. Aren't you excited? All right. Now, last week, we looked at a passage at the end of 1 Chronicles, and it was a prayer by King David. And David was thanking God for the grace that he had extended to David and to the Israelites. God had commanded David to build a temple. David wouldn't actually build a temple. His son Solomon would. Most of you are aware of that. But nonetheless, David took upon himself the responsibility of raising the necessary monies and resources that would pay for the temple. And having announced this offering to the people and more particularly to the leaders of Israel, a tremendous offering came in, a free will offering. And David utters this prayer of gratitude to God for what God had done. And in the context of that prayer, David acknowledged two things. First of all, he acknowledged God's sovereignty over everything he had. God is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. Lest you not think so, you need to read your Bible a little bit more closely. This is a vitally important truth to acknowledge and integrate into our own understanding. God is sovereign over everything. He works his will out, sometimes in the most mysterious ways. But his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. perfect. We have confidence in that. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that he's sovereign. I'm glad that he's, he knows what he's doing. I'm glad that he is engineering events by his sovereign will to direct and lead my life and to help me in, in my choices and decisions to honor him. So we learn from David that God is sovereign. We also transitioned to begin to look at some questions, actually uh, some issues. I shared with you three lies that sound like the truth. They sound like the truth, but they're not the truth. They're actually lies. It's important for us to distinguish these things. The first lie is this. All the church talks about is money. That's a lie. The church doesn't talk enough about money. The church doesn't teach us and coach us enough about how to deal with the resources that God has entrusted to us according to God's will and God's purpose and God's plan. All the church talks about is money. Now, if those of you visiting us with us for the first time, The second 
Second lie that we buy into sounds like the truth, but it's really a lie. And that is money and things can satisfy us. Can they really? No. But sometimes we live for money. We live for stuff as if we really do believe it can satisfy us. Truth is, it cannot satisfy us. Ultimately, only God can satisfy in His will. And the third lie that sounds like a truth, and this is, this is perennial, this is every place. It's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. Really, it's your money. Whose money is it? It's God's money. And he's entrusted to us a measure of wealth for us to steward. He knows exactly where every penny is, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So we looked at those three lies that sound like the truth, but they're not the truth, they're lies. And then we looked at three truths that sound like lies, but they're not lies, they're actually the truth. So let me remind you of those. Number one, God is the one who determines how much money I have. Not my boss, not me. God is the one who actually determines how much money I have. He is so sovereign. He overrules and rules to ensure that I have what he wants me to have. The second truth, God has the power to dry up my source of income without a moment's notice. Would he do that? Yes. We looked at a premier example last time. Who was the example of God absolutely drying up his his kingdom as well as his wealth. Do you remember? Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful kings ever in the history of mankind, the king of Babylon. God did it like that, didn't he? Seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was out with the animals. And the third truth sounds like a lie, but it's the truth. Giving to God is the only way out of my financial problems. Oh, come on. It can't be the only way. It's the only way out of my financial problems. That's the truth. It's not a lie. Now, if we're to be faithful stewards of whatever God has entrusted to us, it's critical to have this understanding and acknowledge his sovereignty not only of our finances, but over every area of our life. He's entrusted life to us, hasn't he? And time to us, hasn't he? Relationships. And the question is, are we being faithful stewards over whatever it is that he's entrusted to us? Because if we're not, we're only setting ourselves up for his discipline, as we shall see. Now, as we reflect on those realities, there's one more I want to add. We have to be aware of and avoid the subtlety of debt. Should Christians be in debt? Should anybody be in debt? Should our country be in debt? Oops. Now, 
I suspect that most people here have credit cards. Is that a fair assumption? For convenience only? If you keep a balance on your credit card, which, by the way, is what the credit cards companies want you to do, you're going, they're going to make a lot of money off us, aren't we? You ever read the fine print on those credit applications? Anybody here ever read the fine print on those credit applications? <laughs> Very few of us. It's so tedious and so confusing. How many lawyers do we have here? Anybody, any lawyers in here this morning? No one's going to admit it. <laughs> Trish, okay. <laughs> See, Trisha wouldn't even raise her hand. Who writes that stuff? Lawyers do. If you keep a balance, which is what the credit card companies want us to do, they're going to make a lot of money off of you. And when you read the fine print on those credit applications, I want you to notice something. Next time you fill out one of those things, I don't care if it's a car or whatever it is, you read that fine print, and I defy you to find this word anywhere there. Debt. It's not there. They don't want you to think of debt. Debt is subtle. And those who uh, encourage us to get into debt are subtle themselves, sometimes even sinister. That's why we need to always pay attention to what we're doing and what we're signing up for. We just need to be. That's part of being a good steward. So God's will is for us to be debt-free, to be debt-free. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is enunciating God's law to the people the second time before they go in to take possession of the promised land, in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, by the way, chapter 28 is the blessing and cursing chapter. And this, is, this comes, this, these verses come toward the end of the blessing section. In other words, God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Now, God's not mean-spirited. He has created a world. He's created a, a, a universe, and he has built into that these laws that work every time. How many know the law of gravity works every time? Yeah. We talked last week about the law of reciprocity. Give and it will be given to you. It works. And so God in his creation has built in design. And he simply says, if you follow the design, if you read the instructions before all else fails. You know, we always read the instructions after everything fails. We, we lean on our own understanding. If you follow the design, you're going to get blessed. This is the way I made it. This is the way I made life to work. So in this passage in Deuteronomy, listen to what God says. <clears throat> the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Now remember, the context, this is an agrarian culture primarily. And so all the figures of speech are going to be farming and that sort of thing. Okay, husbandry and farming. He says... You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Wow. 
Imagine if our government took God at his word. We would be lending to nations and not what? Borrowing. We are $20 trillion in debt. If you have any concept of what a, just a trillion dollars is, it's mind-blowing. He goes on and he says, if you obey me, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. How many would like to be the head, not the tail? If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Look at those, those terms, always be at the top, never at the bottom. You don't need to raise your hands for this one, but some of us are sick of being at the bottom, aren't we? We aspire to be at the top, but we don't follow his design. We wonder, why, 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 why am I at the bottom? Why am I at the bottom? Why can't I be at the top? Follow the directions. Follow the directions. Why is my marriage in the toilet? Follow the directions. Why are my kids going crazy? Follow the directions. God does not want us to be in debt. He would rather we be lenders instead of borrowers. He'd rather we be the head than the tail. He'd rather we be at the top, not the bottom. Listen to Psalm 37. The righteous are always generous and lend freely. No compulsion. They lend freely. That would also include, I think, lending freely, not expecting it back. That's a mark of a righteous person in God's sight. And their children will be blessed. Imagine children that grow up in a home whose parents are wise and gracious and generous. Do those children inherit a heritage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Psalm 112. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to them. Okay, I can do that. Oh, and lend to them without expecting anything back. What? I can lend to my friend, but my enemy... Lend to your enemy without expecting anything back. Wow. Now look what he says next. Then, if you are someone who does that, then you, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You'll prove yourselves truly children of God because why? You're most like him when you are doing what? Giving to your enemies. Because he says, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's who we are. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 
That's a debt we never can pay off. I can never love you enough. I can never love you enough. I can never pay off that debt to love you. It's a continuing debt. But let no other debt remain outstanding. Are you with me? So I think it's clear. God does not want us to be in debt. He wants us to be lenders and not borrowers. Unfortunately, a great number of people, and many people, sadly, in the Christian community, are seriously and maybe even severely in debt. And yet God says, I want you to be free. I want you to be free so that you can lend to many and borrow from none. So I think it's fair to say we all need to get to a place where we truly hate debt. You say, I hate debt. But if you're in debt, what does debt represent? Bondage. Debt represents bondage. Who in the world likes to be in bondage? We don't like that. It's miserable. Just imagine what it would be like if you were totally out of debt. In other words, your paycheck is not already pre-obligated to someone or something. You get to keep the whole thing. Wow! Isn't that great? Imagine more money left at the end of the month and more months left at the end of the money. More money than bills. What could you do? Well, you'd be free to give to God like maybe you always intended to be. I just... I just want to give, but I've got these obligations. You could put money into savings, maybe. You might even be able to start earning interest rather than paying it. What a novel idea. You could maybe take a vacation, fix up the house. Heck, maybe even buy a house. Wow. All because what? You're out of debt. You're out of debt. Think of what we could accomplish as a church, what any congregation could accomplish if the people in that congregation were committed to being debt-free. Could we give? Could we, could we fund missions? Oh, man, oh, man. Could we see the gospel spread because we're, because we're funding ministry effectively? You, you and I can't get to a certain place in the world, but we could fund people who are willing to go and communicate the gospel. Think of what we could accomplish. There's a book, it's, I, think, I, I think it's still in print, I think you can still find it, but it was very, very helpful to me. And uh, the title is Debt-Free Living by Larry Burkett. He's home with the Lord, but uh, his words still live on. Let me read a quote from the book. He says, regardless of how it seems today, debt is not normal in any economy and should not be normal for God's people. Would you agree? Would you say an amen to that? Amen. He says, we live in a debt-ridden society that is now virtually dependent. Now think about this. A society that is virtually dependent on a constant expansion of credit to keep the economy going. You want to know why interest rates are, are artificially kept down? to keep the economy from crashing, to keep it going. When they start raising interest rates, watch out. This economy is going to hit the skids big time. You just need to understand this. This is what debt does. 
He says this is a symptom of a society no longer willing to follow God's directions. It's also symptomatic maybe if a family's grossly in debt, a family that's no longer willing to follow God's directions. Isn't it sad how the devil can lead us into debt so he can keep us in bondage and keep us from doing great things in the name of Jesus for his kingdom? Wow. How does, how does God fund his kingdom? How does God fund his kingdom? Does he just rain manna down from heaven? No, he funds his kingdom through his people. And he, you read verse after verse after verse. There's more verses in the Bible about money and about generosity than about heaven and hell. Did you know that? So... Maybe we need to change our attitude about debt. And to do this, we need to learn some, some things. What does the Bible say? Let me share with you some principles. Seven principles from the Bible. These are principles. These are unchanging truths. Number one, going into debt makes you a servant to someone else other than God. Proverbs 22, we read, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Jesus told us, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to serve one and hate the other. When you borrow, instead of God being your Lord and God being your boss, somebody else is calling the shots. And when you don't make your payments, they'll start calling some shots that you may not want to hear. It's that simple. Principle number two, it's clearly a sin if you borrow and do not repay. There are people who borrow money and walk away and don't pay. Listen to Psalm 37. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. So if a person borrows and they don't repay, what does that say about that person? What kind of person are they? Wicked person. The reason the righteous can give generously is they're not in debt. Principle number three. The Bible warns that it's better not to go in debt. Now, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 18, that is variously misread, misunderstood, and misinterpreted, unfortunately. It goes like this. A man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Now, most of us understand that. Most of us would say, oh, I'm not supposed to sign for your loan. But I want to suggest to you that that's not exactly what that verse says. If you literally interpret the verse, it translates this way. The man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge, makes an agreement for debt in the presence of his neighbor. What's it saying? It's not describing one who goes into debt for one's neighbor. It's saying a foolish man goes into debt and his neighbor knows about it. You're a fool if all your neighbors know about your debt. You want people knowing about your debt? Your poor mismanagement of money? 
No, no. Do you want your neighbors to know you're in debt or do you want your neighbors to know you're debt free? Debt free. Here's principle number four. The longest term of debt God's people took was how many years? Seven years. In the book of Deuteronomy, again, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, God says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. Now, isn't that interesting? God doesn't say he should have never made the loan in the first place, but he does say, now is the time you should, what? Cancel it. Seven years. The Bible doesn't forbid borrowing. It doesn't forbid debt. It just says there's a whole lot better way to live without it. Now, this is principle number five. Principle number five, you are not in control of your own future. <laughs> How many know that? You're not really in control of your own future. James talks about this in, in his epistle. You know, how many have said, hey, we'll see you tomorrow? Oh, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Or we're going to go on vacation, we're going to go do this, go do that. When, in fact, we should amend those statements by adding what? If God wills. I love it. In the gym I go to, the guys are always saying, hey, see you tomorrow. See you next week. I say, only if God wills. <laughs> only if God wills. <laughs> only if God wills. <laughs> it's so much fun to be a Christian. <laughs> In a pagan environment. Yeah, you don't know you're going to live and, and have the money to pay off that debt. What you're going to debt for? Yeah, no. There's no guarantees. We're not in control of our own future. Here's principle number six. When you go into debt, you're asking someone else other than God to meet your needs. Well, what do you expect me to do? Don't go into debt. Don't go into debt. Paul is in prison in Rome. And the Philippians, who are dirt poor people, they're amongst the Macedonian churches that the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians about, extolling them. The Philippians take up an offering, sacrificially so. These are dirt poor people to serve Paul and to meet all of his needs while he's in prison. If you're in prison, the Roman government didn't take care of you. If you didn't have family or friends or someone to come along and help you and get, bring you food and clothes and so forth, you're out of luck. It was miserable, worse than miserable. So the Philippians, they take up this offering for Paul's support and also to extend that support to the Gentile believers, I'm sorry, to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem because these guys are Gentiles. And Paul, to assure them, to encourage them, lest they worry about themselves. You know, you think, well, what about me? What's going to be left over for me? Paul says to them, and my God shall supply most of your needs. All of your needs. According to what? God's glorious riches in Christ. Does God own everything? 
in Malachi, we're going to look at Malachi next week. Malachi says, God says, test me in this. The only place in the Bible God says, test me, and that's over finances. Let me read to you how Paul characterizes the Macedonian churches amongst which the Philippians were to the Corinthians. Now the Corinthians were, they were a little bit stingy. They were a little bit slow. They, it's hard for them to let go. He says to them in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow. How would you like to be memorialized that way in Scripture? He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How could they give beyond their ability? He's already told, by the grace of God. Sometimes we say, well, I can do this much, I can't do any more. I can give this much time, I can't give any more. But there are people who come along and give what they can give, but they actually end up giving more than they thought they could give. Many of you are like that. He says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. <laughs> unless, unless we first give ourselves to the Lord, we're not going to do anything. We're going to just sit back in our old stingy, miserly, foolish ways, unbelieving ways. Am I making sense here? Point number seven, principle number seven. When you go into debt and mortgage your future, you also affect your whole family. It's not rocket science. I think we all understand that. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, as opposed to trusting in God. It doesn't say it's a bad thing to be rich, but if you're trusting in riches, your riches are your savior, your riches, rather than God, you will fall. And who will see to it that you fall? God will. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? <coughs> but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Why will the righteous thrive like a green leaf? Because they're generous. We've already seen the righteous are characterized as being what? Generous. They'll thrive like a green leaf. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. So I think it's pretty clear. Debt is not a good thing for us. It does not represent God's perfect will for our lives. Now, to help us have a right attitude about debt, I want you to remember two words. <coughs> Excuse me, two phrases. Think about debt this way. Dumb explanation for buying things. <laughs> and if you have to use debt to buy something, think of these words. Don't even buy that. Right. 
I looked up the word debt in my thesaurus. Let me give you all the words and expressions and synonymous, synonyms for debt. This is, this is very, very eye-opening. So you start with the word debt. <clears throat> Obligation, encumbrance, in the red, pound of flesh, arrears, inability to pay, built, bound, beholden, up to one's ears, over one's head, mortgaged to the hilt, in the poverty trap, unable to keep the wolf from the door. That's a good one. Hard up, beaten down, financially embarrassed, strapped, stripped, fleeced, busted. That's debt. I submit to you, debt is not good. There are only five things you can do with money. You can give it. You can save it. You can invest it. You can lend it. You can spend it. So why blow it by getting into debt and losing it through paying interest to somebody else? Makes no sense. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I've got so much debt. I don't know. I don't know if I could ever get out of debt. Can you get out of debt? Absolutely. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how much debt you're in, you can get out of debt. You just have to want to. Really. How many know there's apparent reasons and real reasons? I want to get out of debt. Really? If you really want to get out, you'll get out of debt. People say, I want to, but they never do. So how does one get out of debt? Well, let me give you some instruction for getting out of debt. How many want to get out of debt? Don't even raise your hands because you'll tell me you're in debt. I don't want to know that. <laughs> First, you must make an irrevocable commitment. What does irrevocable mean? You can't take it back. You must make an irrevocable commitment to God, to yourself, that you're going to get out of debt. I'm going to get out of debt. You make that commitment to God first, then to yourself, and share it with your, some of your trusted brothers and sisters who will help you. Say, I'm making myself accountable. I'm giving you power in my life to be able to confront me and, and check on me, make sure I'm doing what I said I'm going to do. Without that, you'll never do it. So first of all, make that irrevocable commitment. Secondly, don't take on any more debt. Duh. You say, that's it. I'm not borrowing anything else. If you have to use debt to buy something, what should you say to yourself? Don't even buy that. That's right. Third, put God first in your giving. Put God first in your giving. What does that mean? What does it mean to put God first in my giving? How does that translate in my thinking? Proverbs chapter, Proverbs chapter 3 talks about giving him what? The third fruits? Second fruits. First fruits. What is the first fruits? When I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything about this stuff. I hadn't read the Bible in my life. I'm being schooled and discipled by some more mature Christians. 
And this, this whole issue of tithing came up. I'd never even heard the word. I had no idea what it was. So they began to instruct me in this thing called tithing. And they told me, and, and they, you know, I said, tithe, wow, 10%. And I knew how much money I was making, so I did some quick calculations in my head. I went, whoa, whoa. I said, does everybody do that? And they very wisely said, everybody does it. Wow, really? Well, I'll do it too. Then my next question, gross or net? <laughs> it just reveals our sinful nature, doesn't it? We have to ask those questions. They told me it's on the gross. It's the first fruits. It's the first part. Right off the top. You go, wow. Everybody does this? Everybody does it. <laughs> they told me, if you're not doing it, you are, in effect, robbing God. I said, who would do that? Who would rob God? What an absurd thought. And they took me to Malachi chapter 3, where God told his people, you're robbing me, every one of you. Well, I didn't want to be accused of robbing God, and I wanted to do what was right, and so I did what they said. I've never regretted it. Number four, develop a written plan. What is a written plan? A budget. If you don't know how to put a budget together, it's fairly simple, but we have people in the church who will help you, financial counselors, our elders. If you don't know how to put a budget together, come and say, I, I need a budget. But it's not enough to have a budget. You must also what? Follow it. Stick to it. That's right. You've got to stick to your budget. And you have to also set an attainable time frame to get out of your debt. Now again, referring back to Larry Burkett, he said that anyone can be out of debt in seven years. Now I've had people take longer that I've coached. It may be unrealistic to you seven years, but set a time, set a goal that's reasonable and be accountable to that goal. You say, write it on your refrigerator door. Write it on your mirror. I'm going to be out of debt by this date. Whew. Now, in order to do that, you have to make some adjustments in your life. How many people like to eat out? Everybody likes to eat out. Come on. Some more than others, right? Have you ever noticed how many restaurants there are on the highways? You just drive down Hawthorne Boulevard, right down, drive down Pacific Coast Highway, right, drive down Artesia, you boom, 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 you can see them, you count them all. Restaurant, restaurant, restaurant. A lot of fast foods. Inviting you to eat out. And guess what? You don't even have to get out of your car to eat out. You can go through the drive-thru and you can in your car. Because everybody knows by the time you get home, it's cold, right? There's nothing worse than cold french fries. So you may have to adjust your lifestyle. You may, you may have to say, you know what? We're not going to eat out like we used to. We're going to start learning how to cook. Yes, learning how to cook. 
We're going to start eating in. We're going to actually have family dinner table. What a novel idea. How many like to shop? Oh, yeah, more hands go up now. You don't even have to go out to shop anymore. I'm told that you can shop on the Internet. I'm told all you have to do is push a button and it says, put it in my basket, put it in my basket, put it in my basket. You may have to curtail your eating out. You may have to curtail your shopping. You may have to downsize. I've sat down with people in our church over the years, done, gone with their budget. I say, you cannot afford to live here. You cannot afford to live here. This is one of the most expensive communities in the country to live in. Even rents are mind-blowing. And I've told people, I say, you have to make the hard call. If, you're not, if you can't earn more and you can't spend less, the only two ways to manage this, you, you're going to have to move. You can't live in South Redondo. You can't live in Manhattan Beach. You can't live in Hermosa Beach. You may have to move to Lawndale. You may have to live, move to Long Beach. <laughs> I'm going to keep you longer for that. <laughs> you get my point, right? This goes hand in hand with paying off all your debts. My wife and I, we, we, we don't owe a penny on anything, no car. No, how our house is paid off. But we saved. And we were determined. We doubled and tripled our house payments. We were determined to have that house paid off in less than seven years. You can do it. We didn't go out to eat. We cook. We eat leftovers. We live very, very simply. We don't take trips. We don't spend money. Because we were determined to be debt-free because that honors God. And now we can give. We can give a lot more than we ever thought we would. you got to be serious in adjusting your lifestyle. Number seven, begin to systematically pay off all your debts. Start with the smallest one first. Get that paid off. They then take the money that you were using to pay that debt and add that to the next debt. Pay the next smallest debt off. Then take that money as an aggregate and pay off the next smallest debt. And work your way up until you are debt free. It can be done. You just have to want to and be determined to. And you have to understand this is God's perfect will for us. I submit to you, we should be committed as Christian people 
to becoming debt-free and to indeed raising up an army of people who are absolutely, completely, permanently debt-free. An army of people like that. And we can do that with God's help and for his glory. We can all be debt-free. I believe there's no question that God wants us out of debt. And I believe there's no question that God is willing to do whatever it takes to help us do that. If we're willing. I know that because you and I entered this world with a huge debt, did we not? Huge debt of sin. And God knew that that wasn't good. And so he sent his son to pay off that debt. A debt we could never ever pay in order that we should be free. Jesus says it. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And there is no freedom and certainly no feeling in the world like being free from that debt of sin. Having sin lifted off my shoulder, no more guilt. My past is over. It's, it's done. I have a whole brand new future before me. New life. There's nothing like it. And the next best feeling is to be free from the debts of this world. And God will help you if you'll look to him and begin to honor him. Amen? Amen. No debt. Should we make that a goal? Yes. Absolutely. Father, thank you again for your word.